On July 23, 2020, it was announced that Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures' upcoming third Spider-Man movie, the untitled sequel to the Tom Holland starring Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, has been kicked out of its November 5, 2021 release date. According to MCU Cosmic, Spider-Man 3 will now swing into theaters on December 17, 2021. That launch date previously belonged to Avatar 2, which is one of a number of Disney-backed films that are now officially delayed. The Mouse House took a sledgehammer to its release schedule, removing the live-action Mulan from the lineup entirely, pushing back the release of the next Star Wars movie and rearranging the release dates of all the planned Avatar franchise sequels. Disappointing as the delay may be, there's an advantage to a December debut. With Spider-Man 3 now hanging out in the proverbial web Avatar 2 was once wrapped up in, the film is primed to rake in huge box office bucks as a holiday season release. Tentpole films that have been released in late December tend to perform exceptionally well financially, even if they aren't universally loved. Holland's Spidey flicks haven't had trouble winning over fans and critics alike, but the added bonus of debuting during such a festive time should boost its potential for revenue even further. A December debut is also a first for the Holland-led Spider-Man franchise. In 2017, Spider-Man Homecoming launched to rave reviews on July 7th. A little less than two years later, Spider-Man Far From Home wall-crawled into cinemas on July 2, 2019. Even when Spider-Man 3 was slated to drop on November 5, 2021, it would have shaken up the intra-franchise status quo. Pushing the flick to December not only buys a bit more time between the end of filming and the scheduled debut, but also makes Spider-Man 3 the must-see movie of the 2021 holiday season. I think this is going to be culturally enriching for us. Thank you, Ned. Another upshot of all this is that the wait for Spider-Man 3 will certainly be worth it. While little is known about what exactly Peter Parker and his pals will get up to in the threequel, based on the mid-credits scene of Spider-Man Far From Home, the friendly neighborhood hero is gonna have to do a lot of work to prove that he's both friendly and a hero who can now protect the neighborhood, and not, you know, a villain like everyone now thinks he is. As fans will recall, after the main action of Far From Home, a post-credits scene revealed that Mysterio had manipulated footage captured during a battle between himself and Spider-Man to make it look like Spidey was a ruthless killer. Mysterio, who was actually a disgruntled ex-Stark Industries employee who used his mastery of optical illusions to self-stylize as a vigilante, then sent that fake clip to the DailyBugle.net, the online version of the famous New York City tabloid. In a video that was broadcast to the entire Big Apple, J. Jonah Jameson played the doctored footage, which ends with Mysterio disclosing that Spider-Man's true identity is Peter Parker. It's safe to say that Spidey's world is going to be upside down at the start of Spider-Man 3. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige has teased that the end of Far From Home establishes an exciting foundation from which the Spider-Man 3 team can build a totally unprecedented cinematic Spider-Man story. Chatting with Fandango in July 2019, Feige likened the reveal of Spidey's identity in Far From Home to Tony Stark's admission that he was Iron Man during the hero's first solo film. Feige told the outlet, At the end of Iron Man, it was a hero publicly outing himself so that in the next movies and all subsequent movies, we couldn't fall back on the secret identity trope, which had been part of Iron Man's stories for decades in the comics. And now people know Peter's identity. People now think he's a villain. Where it goes, we'll see but it's exciting that it once again sets us up for a Peter Parker story that has never been done before on film. Even though a few more weeks have been tacked on to the wait for Spider-Man 3, it's difficult to be totally bummed about it when the film has all the potential in the world to be the best Tom Holland-led Spider-Man movie thus far. We'll find out December 17, 2021. Check out one of our newest videos right here! Plus, even more Looper videos about the MCU are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one.
On July 23, 2020, it was announced that Marvel Studios and Sony Pictures' upcoming third Spider-Man movie, the yet untitled sequel to the Tom Holland starring Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, has been kicked out of its November 5, 2021 release date. According to MCU Cosmic, Spider-Man 3 will now swing into theaters on December 17, 2021. That launch date previously belonged to Avatar 2, which is one of a number of Disney-backed films that are now officially delayed. The Mouse House took a sledgehammer to its release schedule, removing the live-action Mulan from the lineup entirely, pushing back the release of the next Star Wars movie and rearranging the release dates of all the planned Avatar franchise sequels. Disappointing as the delay may be, there's an advantage to a December debut. With Spider-Man 3 now hanging out in the proverbial web Avatar 2 was once wrapped up in, the film is primed to rake in huge box office bucks as a holiday season release. Tentpole films that have been released in late December tend to perform exceptionally well financially, even if they aren't universally loved. Holland's Spidey flicks haven't had trouble winning over fans and critics alike, but the added bonus of debuting during such a festive time should boost its potential for revenue even further. A December debut is also a first for the Holland-led Spider-Man franchise. In 2017, Spider-Man Homecoming launched to rave reviews on July 7th. A little less than two years later, Spider-Man Far From Home wall-crawled into cinemas on July 2, 2019. Even when Spider-Man 3 was slated to drop on November 5, 2021, it would have shaken up the intra-franchise status quo. Pushing the flick to December not only buys a bit more time between the end of filming and the scheduled debut, but also makes Spider-Man 3 the must-see movie of the 2021 holiday season. I think this is going to be culturally enriching for us. Thank you, Ned. Another upshot of all this is that the wait for Spider-Man 3 will certainly be worth it. While little is known about what exactly Peter Parker and his pals will get up to in the threequel, based on the mid-credits scene of Spider-Man Far From Home, the friendly neighborhood hero is gonna have to do a lot of work to prove that he's both friendly and a hero who can now protect the neighborhood, and not, you know, a villain like everyone now thinks he is. As fans will recall, after the main action of Far From Home, a post-credits scene revealed that Mysterio had manipulated footage captured during a battle between himself and Spider-Man to make it look like Spidey was a ruthless killer. Mysterio, who was actually a disgruntled ex-Stark Industries employee who used his mastery of optical illusions to self-stylize as a vigilante, then sent that fake clip to the DailyBugle.net, the online version of the famous New York City tabloid. In a video that was broadcast to the entire Big Apple, J. Jonah Jameson played the doctored footage, which ends with Mysterio disclosing that Spider-Man's true identity is Peter Parker. It's safe to say that Spidey's world is going to be upside down at the start of Spider-Man 3. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige has teased that the end of Far From Home establishes an exciting foundation from which the Spider-Man 3 team can build a totally unprecedented cinematic Spider-Man story. Chatting with Fandango in July 2019, Feige likened the reveal of Spidey's identity in Far From Home to Tony Stark's admission that he was Iron Man during the hero's first solo film. Feige told the outlet, At the end of Iron Man, it was a hero publicly outing himself so that in the next movies and all subsequent movies, we couldn't fall back on the secret identity trope, which had been part of Iron Man's stories for decades in the comics. And now people know Peter's identity. People now think he's a villain. Where it goes, we'll see. But it's exciting that it once again sets us up for a Peter Parker story that has never been done before on film. Even though a few more weeks have been tacked on to the wait for Spider-Man 3, it's difficult to be totally bummed about it when the film has all the potential in the world to be the best Tom Holland-led Spider-Man movie thus far. We'll find out December 17, 2021. Check out one of our newest videos right here! Plus, even more Looper videos about the MCU are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one.
What's going on guys? Welcome to Everything Always. My name is Michael Roman. Now it was only days ago here at the channel that we reported on an update from Tom Holland himself via his father's Patreon letting us know that later this year after wrapping filming on Uncharted he would be on set filming on Spider-Man 3 and hope to be wrapped on that film by February of 2021 leading us all to believe it may actually meet its new release date but unfortunately as some of you may have seen the headline breaking late last night another delay Sony coming out and moving Spider-Man 3 for the second time we're gonna let you know what this brand new release date is and why Sony chose now of all times to announce this very slight change alongside some other films yesterday we're gonna break it all down but first if you could grab the subscribe button we're giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros as well as a whole slew of other Marvel related stuff including this insane one-fourth scale beta ray bill as well as our third infinity saga box set all you have to do to be entered to win hit the subscribe button then hit the notification bell leave a like and a comment on this video and if you want stick around to the end of the video We'll get into all the giveaway stuff again there. So Sony coming out late last night and announcing that they were moving Spider-Man 3, or as they called it, the sequel from Far From Home, which is interesting because Far From Home is a sequel in and of itself, one more time next year. The original re-release date was November 5th, but now will be December 17th, 2021 and you may be scratching your head why would they only push it back a month and why would they be announcing that now and the answer is actually pretty easy on both counts as far as the timing for the announcement it came alongside a ton of shuffling over at Disney because this is a joint effort with Disney's Marvel Studios and Sony an obvious opening in the calendar alongside movement for both the Avatar sequels and the Star Wars films mean that Sony had a shot to push it back but why would they and only a month and that answer is twofold first if they're starting production on spider-man 3 much later than they thought they were and remember this movie was set to start at the beginning of summer then any extra time they can buy to get production done for onset filming is extra time that they probably need as well as we're still in a wait and see pattern and that's why we haven't heard anything from Marvel Studios as far as a new update for any of their re-releases especially with what's going on for Disney Plus Sony probably figures they want to leave it on the 2021 release slate as much as they possibly can and not push it into the next fiscal year and the next calendar year of 2022 by pushing it back to December 17th they're remaining as optimistic as they can that they can release this next year as hopeful as we all are for it without actually moving it off of the 2021 release slate schedule and that for a company like Sony and really any movie studio that's basically just been hemorrhaging money every day that they stay closed is the best that they can do as far as optimism is concerned and that's the reason we also haven't heard any re-announcements for what's going on with Black Widow or any of the Marvel films same exact reason they moved it to the end of the year almost as far as they possibly could saying hey we still want to get Black Widow out during 2020 but we'll push it all the way to the end and just hope that we'll be able to release it and as of yet time will still tell as far as that's concerned one final thought I'll leave you with it may not be that long until we see Tom Holland as Peter Parker or Spider-Man on the big screen considering that Sony has some other films set to come out next year in Morbius and Venom and there have been so many any rumors for a Spider-Man cameo in each. We all know, of course, Sony can't help themselves, and if there's any chance of getting Tom Holland in either film, they are absolutely going to make that happen, and you can't help but wonder if we won't get a chance to see him 
before Spider-Man 3 actually gets released at the end of next year. Guys, let me know all your thoughts down below, how hyped you are for Spider-Man 3, what you think that home title is going to be when they finally reveal it, and does it bother you that it's just set back another month? Honestly, at this point, we're going to take whatever we can get, and I don't mind waiting till December if we actually get it. Let me know all your thoughts down below, and quickly, let's get into the giveaway stuff before I let you go. We're still giving away two PlayStation 4 Pros, the next of which is at the 700,000 subscriber mark. Of course, we will switch over to the five once we get them in hand. In the meantime, if you want to be entered to win, all you have to do, hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and it'll automatically enter you to win all the rest of the prizes, like this insane one-fourth scale XM Studios Beta Ray Bill. This is an internationally licensed limited edition museum quality piece alongside the third and final Infinity Saga box set we're giving away here at the channel. We've already given away two this year. If you guys don't know about these, they were limited in addition to 4,000 in pre-order. Once they sold out, they absolutely shot up exponentially on the secondhand market. We've gotten our hands on the third one to give away, which we will at the end of this year. If you want to be entered to win the PlayStations, the Beta Ray Bill, or this Infinity Saga box set, all the same rules will always apply. Hit the subscribe button, then hit the notification bell, leave a like and a comment on this video, and because it's truly random, the more videos you like and comment on, the better chance you have of winning. All winners will be announced at the end of the videos, just like we're doing right here, and if you've missed any of the previous winner announcements, no worry, just scroll back to the channel, look for the winner announcement and the sub count in the title, click on that video and scroll to the end. My name is Michael Roman, this is Everything Always. Guys, thanks for checking out the channel, and stick around, we'll be posting again real, real soon. Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and the New Mutants was the first big footage release from Comic-Con at Home 2020. The cursed film of the past few years that kept getting delayed. We got the movie's first two minutes in a trailer with creepy, creepy nightmare faces, and if you look closely enough, some really cool Easter eggs and visual details that could explain this movie's dark plot, and maybe, just maybe, connections to other Marvel films. Currently, we're looking at a New Mutant release date of August 28th, 2020. We'll see about that. I'm gonna break down everything that you might have missed from this footage. Spoiler warning in case I predict anything too right and ruin your life. Huh, breakdown of new Yay! stuff? Just feels like. Here we go. The movie's opening scene begins with a voiceover from Danny Moonstar, the mutant Mirage, a Native American girl who can manifest illusions into reality. She's haunted by this movie's antagonist, the Demon Bear. Her narration discusses the background of this Native American mythology about how everyone has two bears inside them fighting for their souls. A good bear and an evil bear. Her mutant ability caused this inner dark entity to become a real world threat. And I assume it comes from her just from the comics, yeah, but also she has this cool bear necklace that she wears on her. Now notice the quality she associates with the evil bear. The other is all things evil, fear, shame, and self-destruction. Yeah, shame? Growing up Catholic, shame was told to me to be a good thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's cool, it's a little detail showing how for these kids, shame over their abilities is so self-destructive and toxic, it amounts to a force of evil that this demon bear can use to with them. The demon bear attacks their community here, probably leading to Mirage and authorities to think she herself is criminally responsible. He probably would have been safer. Now it's only the opening scene, but already I'm loving the camera work here. A 
long, unbroken tracking shot following Danny and her dad out the fiery home, out in the snow. And then we get this overhead push in as the chaos explodes in the audio soundscape around her, but staying on her face as she suddenly wakes up in the Milbury Hospital, which I've talked about in other videos, could be a nod to Nathan Milbury, Nathaniel Essex, Mr. Sinister, who was set up long ago to be a future X-Men villain in the X-Men Apocalypse post credit scene. Maybe it'll be connected, maybe it won't. But as she looks up, Wolfsbane is looking down at her from the vent? That's a pretty terrifying thing to wake up to. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all the people who live in my vents. Let's move on to the new trailer, because it does just enough to get me excited for this movie again. Maybe it's just because, you know, I'm, I'm dying of thirst, and any new superhero movie will be something I devour. We get new looks at Eliana Rasputin, aka Magic, the sister to Colossus, remember him from the Deadpool movies? Assembling over her arm is the Eldritch Armor. She carries with her a psychic blade called the Soul Sword. Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things plays Sam Guthrie, Cannonball. He can blast himself forward with invulnerability. You can see he attaches himself to this big concrete block, maybe to tow it along with him when he cannonballs as a separate projectile that might be able to break through that force field that contains them in this hospital. And I think that field is being projected by Dr. Cecilia Reyes. Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones plays Rain Sinclair Wolfsbane, who can shapeshift into a wolf. Notice how that W brand that we've seen on her neck is also scarred into her back. I'm wondering if her wolf form was branded with a W a few times on the neck and on the shoulder by fearful locals trying to tag this menace werewolf so that they would be able to ID her when she shapeshifted back. And then there's Roberto da Costa, Sunspot. Bobby manipulates solar energy to raise his body heat to extreme temperatures similar to the Human Torch, but uh, it's not the same thing. He doesn't say flame on. It's totally different. Now, this movie appears to be designed as a surrealist institute institutional horror with kids trapped in a paranormal nightmare hospital inspired by Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors with a lot of that same bendy wall imagery that Wes Craven loved to use. We get a look at some of those nightmare entities haunting them underneath those happy face masks are, well, less happy faces. Sharp teeth, no eyes, Ugh, similar to the Crooked Man or Looksy. Now overhead shots of those guys show that their bodies are covered in tattoos. I'm wondering if they could be reflections of Ileana's inner demons, maybe from gropey dudes with Russian prison tattoos whose eyes maybe she never got to see and that's why they don't have eyes now and perhaps here they have been accidentally manifested into reality by Mirage. It's just worth noting that Ileana seems particularly triggered by them and she is the one who is most directly confronting them. Maybe Mirage will be triggering all of their inner demons they'll have to individually confront. While this looks mostly like Mirage's story magic definitely seems the most active using her powers of teleportation and the soul sword to slice through these enemies and of course to attempt to slay the demon bear. But she won't be doing it alone because look closely beside Ileana as she prepares to battle this demon bear. There is a flapping creature beside her. Shows up again later in the trailer and flaps above the demon bear as she fights it. I did see this briefly in the background of the trailer I broke down earlier this year. We now know this is Lockheed, an X-Men character. It's an alien dragon companion actually to Shadowcat Kitty Pride in the comics, but in this movie, it's gonna be a companion to magic. And during all this battle imagery, part of the way magic appears to fight the demon bear is to drop it into this red skied world. I'm assuming this is Limbo, another dimension that magic is able to access via her teleportation. Because if you look closely at the background of the portals she travels through to attack the Baldies, it is that same red hellish background of Limbo that she's coming from. Whether we get to see this in miraculously reopened cinemas in late August, or if they just cave and release it on Disney+, Plus, I am certainly more excited to see it than I was. It may just be a leftover piece of shelved what might have been superhero horror cinema, an unfortunate victim of corporate reshuffling during Fox's sale to Disney 
a few years back, but there is still a chance elements from this universe could find their way to the MCU. Because we'll hopefully be getting more information on WandaVision soon, but we do know that former X-Men movie Quicksilver actor Evan Peters has been cast in that show in a mystery role, which has led some to believe that the MCU might use Wanda Maximoff's exploration of the multiverse to retcon past X-Men film elements like Evan Peters' Quicksilver and maybe like the New Mutants into the MCU multiverse. Maybe one of the many TV channel realities Wanda blinks through could be this movie's limbo. Like it could just be that simple and that non-controversial and fun. Comment down below with your thoughts on this New Mutants film and join our discussion on Discord by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash new rockstars. Follow me on Instagram at EAVoss, follow new rockstars, and subscribe for breakdowns of everything you love. Thanks for watching. Boom. Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and The New Mutants was the first big footage release from Comic-Con at Home 2020. The cursed film of the past few years that kept getting delayed. We got the movie's first two minutes in a trailer with creepy, creepy nightmare faces, and if you look closely enough, some really cool Easter eggs and visual details that could explain this movie's dark plot, and maybe, just maybe, connections to other Marvel films. Currently, we're looking at a New Mutant release date of August 28th, 2020. We'll see about that. I'm gonna break down everything that you might have missed from this footage. Spoiler warning in case I predict anything too right and ruin your life. Huh, breakdown of new Yay! stuff? This feels like. Here we go. The movie's opening scene begins with a voiceover from Danny Moonstar, the mutant Mirage, a Native American girl who can manifest illusions into reality. She's haunted by this movie's antagonist, the Demon Bear. Her narration discusses the background of this Native American mythology about how everyone has two bears inside them fighting for their souls. A good bear and an evil bear. Her mutant ability caused this inner dark entity to become a real world threat. And I assume it comes from her just from the comics, yeah, but also she has this cool bear necklace that she wears on her. Now notice the quality she associates with the evil bear. The other is all things evil, fear, shame, and self-destruction. Yeah, shame? Growing up Catholic, shame was told to me to be a good thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But it's cool, it's a little detail showing how for these kids, shame over their abilities is so self-destructive and toxic, it amounts to a force of evil that this demon bear can use to with them. The demon bear attacks their community here, probably leading to Mirage and authorities to think she herself is criminally responsible. He probably would have been safer. Now it's only the opening scene, but already I'm loving the camera work here. A long, unbroken tracking shot following Danny and her dad out the fiery home, out into the snow, and then we get this overhead push in as the chaos explodes in the audio soundscape around her, but staying on her face as she suddenly wakes up in the Millbury Hospital, which I've talked about in other videos could be a nod to Nathan Milbury, Nathaniel Essex, Mr. Sinister, who was set up long ago to be a future X-Men villain in the X-Men Apocalypse post credit scene. Maybe it'll be connected, maybe it won't. But as she looks up, Wolfsbane is looking down at her from the vent? That's a pretty terrifying thing to wake up to. I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all the people who live in my vents. Let's move on to the new trailer, because it does just enough to get me excited for this movie again. Maybe it's just because, you know, I'm, I'm dying of thirst, and any new superhero movie will be something I devour. We get new looks at Eliana Rasputin, aka Magic, the sister to Colossus, remember him from the Deadpool movies? Assembling over her arm is the Eldritch Armor. She carries with her a psychic blade called the Soul Sword. 
Charlie Heaton from Stranger Things plays Sam Guthrie, Cannonball. He can blast himself forward with invulnerability. You can see he attaches himself to this big concrete block, maybe to tow it along with him when he cannonballs as a separate projectile that might be able to break through that force field that contains them in this hospital. And I think that field is being projected by Dr. Cecilia Reyes. Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones plays Rain Sinclair Wolfsbane, who can shapeshift into a wolf. Notice how that W brand that we've seen on her neck is also scarred into her back. I'm wondering if her wolf form was branded with a W a few times on the neck and on the shoulder by fearful locals trying to tag this menace werewolf so that they would be able to ID her when she shapeshifted back. And then there's Roberto da Costa, Sunspot. Bobby manipulates solar energy to raise his body heat to extreme temperatures similar to the Human Torch, but uh, it's not the same thing. He doesn't say flame on. It's totally different. Now, this movie appears to be designed as a surrealist institute institutional horror with kids trapped in a paranormal nightmare hospital inspired by Nightmare on Elm Street Dream Warriors with a lot of that same bendy wall imagery that Wes Craven loved to use. We get a look at some of those nightmare entities haunting them underneath those happy face masks are, well, less happy faces. Sharp teeth, no eyes, Ugh, similar to the Crooked Man or look-see. Now overhead shots of those guys show that their bodies are covered in tattoos. I'm wondering if they could be reflections of Ileana's inner demons, maybe from gropey dudes with Russian prison tattoos whose eyes maybe she never got to see and that's why they don't have eyes now and perhaps here they have been accidentally manifested into reality by Mirage. It's just worth noting that Ileana seems particularly triggered by them and she is the one who is most directly confronting them. Maybe Mirage will be triggering all of their inner demons they'll have to individually confront. While this looks mostly like Mirage's story, Magic definitely seems the most active using her powers of teleportation and the soul sword to slice through these enemies and of course to attempt to slay the demon bear. But she won't be doing it alone because look closely beside Ileana as she prepares to battle this demon bear. There is a flapping creature beside her. Shows up again later in the trailer and flaps above the demon bear as she fights it. I did see this briefly in the background of the trailer I broke down earlier this year. We now know this is Lockheed, an X-Men character. It's an alien dragon companion actually to Shadowcat Kitty Pride in the comics, but in this movie, it's gonna be a companion to magic. And during all this battle imagery, part of the way magic appears to fight the demon bear is to drop it into this red skied world. I'm assuming this is Limbo, another dimension that magic is able to access via her teleportation. Because if you look closely at the background of the portals she travels through to attack the Baldies, it is that same red hellish background of Limbo that she's coming from. Whether we get to see this in miraculously reopened cinemas in late August, or if they just cave and release it on Disney+, Plus, I am certainly more excited to see it than I was. It may just be a leftover piece of shelved what might have been superhero horror cinema, an unfortunate victim of corporate reshuffling during Fox's sale to Disney a few years back, but there is still a chance elements from this universe could find their way to the MCU. Because we'll hopefully be getting more information on WandaVision soon, but we do know that former X-Men movie Quicksilver actor Evan Peters has been cast in that show in a mystery role, which has led some to believe that the MCU might use Wanda Maximoff's exploration of the multiverse to retcon past X-Men film elements like Evan Peters' Quicksilver and maybe like the New Mutants into the MCU multiverse. Maybe one of the many TV channel realities Wanda blinks through could be this movie's limbo. Like it could just be that simple and that non-controversial and fun. Comment down below with your thoughts on this New Mutants film and join our discussion on Discord by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash new rockstars. Follow me on Instagram at EAVoss, follow new rockstars, and subscribe for breakdowns of everything you love. Thanks for watching. Boom.
While each MCU hero has coped with the pain and suffering he or she has faced in their own unique way, they all came out stronger and better people because of their experiences. With that in mind, these are some of the most tragic origins of your favorite Marvel superheroes. Perhaps one of the most tragic origins of all the Avengers is that of Bucky Barnes. A good friend of Steve Rogers before Rogers became Captain America, Barnes was captured by Hydra during World War II after falling off a train at a high altitude, leading Rogers and the U.S. Army to presume him dead. However, Barnes' body was recovered by Hydra, who implanted a cybernetic arm to replace the one that he lost in the fall, and conditioned him into becoming their premier assassin, the Winter Soldier. Barnes carried out many high-profile hits over the years, including the murder of both of Tony Stark's parents, until he was able to break free of his brainwashing, depicted toward the end of Captain America the Winter Soldier. Framed for killing the Wakandan King T'Chaka, Barnes was subsequently hunted down by his son T'Challa, also known as the Black Panther. His eventual escape from Hydra and mission was part of what ultimately sparked the Avengers Civil War over the Superhuman Registration Act, which ended when Barnes and Rogers subdued Iron Man in a battle after he learned that the Winter Soldier killed both his parents. When you consider that Barnes was presumed dead, forced into being an assassin against his will, framed for crimes he didn't commit, and nearly killed for the ones he committed against his will, Bucky Barnes' deeply and perpetually tragic backstory is enough to make you wonder how he ended up fighting alongside the Avengers rather than simply staying home in the fetal position. Another Avenger with a tragic origin story is Steve Rogers, Captain America, the first Avenger. Rogers desperately wanted to serve in the U.S. military during World War II, but was repeatedly rejected during the recruitment process due to his small stature and slight build. His gumption was appreciated by Dr. Abraham Erskine, who recruited him into Project Rebirth and injected him with the experimental super soldier serum that turned Rogers into Captain America. Immediately after the procedure was completed, however, Erskine was assassinated by a Hydra agent. Later, while attempting to apprehend Armin Zola, Rogers lost his best friend and fellow soldier Bucky Barnes in a fall during combat, only to be forced into doing battle with his long-lost compatriot years later after Barnes was brainwashed into becoming the Winter Soldier. Of course, every hero deals with loss, but Cap's victories have often been tainted by tragedy. After defeating the Red Skull, for example, he was forced to crash the Skull's bomb-laden ship into the Arctic Ocean, tearing himself away from Peggy Carter, the woman he loved. Gonna need a rain check on that dance. When Rogers finally awoke in the modern era after decades in deep freeze, he was thrust into a new period of time he knew nothing about. Given the loss of his mentor Erskine, his friend Bucky, and the selfless sacrifice of his love for Peggy, Captain America's origin story is one that has been repeatedly marred by tragedy. The tragic backstory of Peter Parker is well known, so well known that the death of his Uncle Ben isn't shown in the MCU. When we meet Parker, he's already living alone with his Aunt May. This also means that Parker's parents are either dead or unable to take care of him, meaning that he had suffered the loss of at least three dead and or missing relatives before he made his debut in Captain America Civil War. That alone would make for an awful backstory, but it only gets worse. In Spider-Man Homecoming, Parker is forced to take down the Vulture. While Parker doesn't kill the Vulture, his arrest results in Parker's love interest Liz being forced to move out of New York City, as the Vulture is Liz's father. Later, Parker has to watch his mentor Tony Stark die after he snaps Thanos out of existence in Avengers Endgame. 
This understandably leaves a lasting emotional trauma, which he is forced to confront in Spider-Man Far From Home. He's one of the funniest Avengers, but Parker also has one of the saddest origin stories. Among the more tragic backstories in the MCU is that of Peter Quill, aka Star-Lord. When Quill was a young boy, his mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Immediately after the death of his mother, Quill was abducted from Earth by the alien known as Yondu, which tore him away from the only life he'd known and thrust him into a life of crime. Quill was forced to become an intergalactic outlaw by Yondu, who threatened to eat him on multiple occasions if he didn't. God, 20 years you've been throwing that in my face! Like it's some great thing not eating me! Last and perhaps most heartbreaking is what Quill was forced to do to his father, Ego. It turns out that Ego caused the cancer in Quill's mother because, to make a long story short, his relationship with her was a distraction from his quest to take over the universe. Quill and Ego ended up doing battle with each other, which resulted in the death of Ego. With the death of his mother, his outlaw youth, and the murder of his father, Quill's backstory definitely has its fair share of tragedy. And that's all without even getting into the death of his father figure Yandu or his star-crossed love affair with Gamora. Speaking of which, where to begin with Gamora? When she was a young girl, her planet was invaded by Thanos, and her scrappy but doomed efforts to save her mother caused Thanos to spare her from being among the half of her planet that was about to be executed. Upon her adoption, Gamora was forced to become an assassin for Thanos, and while she did serve him, she always resented him for destroying her previous life. Thanos also had her repeatedly duel her sister, Nebula, with the loser slowly becoming more and more machine. While Gamora never lost, it definitely pained her to be a part of, and to witness, this abject cruelty. Finally, Gamora ended up being killed by Thanos in order to complete his acquisition of the Soul Soul. While MCU fans saw Gamora again in Avengers Endgame, it was a version of her from an alternate timeline, before she met the Guardians of the Galaxy. This Gamora was surrounded by people who had experiences with her that she'd never shared, a difficult emotional burden that could be explored in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. With the loss of half her planet, her adoption by Thanos, being pitted against her adopted sister, and her death at Thanos' hands, Gamora's origin story is clearly among the most tragic of the Avengers. Although Tony Stark's hardships were often mitigated to an extent by his insane wealth, he still suffered no shortage of tragedy and heartbreak. When he was a young man, Tony lost both of his parents in what was initially thought to be a car wreck, but would later turn out to be one of the Winter Soldier's assassinations. This forced him to take charge of his father's company at a young age, and although he did very well for himself, achieving world renown as a manufacturer and seller of cutting-edge munitions, the loss of his parents still always shadowed him. Years after the deaths of his parents, during an overseas demonstration of his company's missiles, Stark was attacked and struck with bits of shrapnel from an explosion, some of which nearly struck his heart. Forced to rely on a handmade arc reactor implanted into his chest simply in order to stay alive, Stark built his first Iron Man armor as part of a plot to escape from the terrorist organization that nearly killed him. And although it was successful, he was unable to rescue the scientist who saved his life and helped him build the suit. Thank you for saving me. Don't waste life. After losing his parents, nearly dying in a terrorist attack, and failing to rescue his savior, Stark was able to use his tragic background in order to become a better person, and ultimately made the greatest sacrifice, giving up his own life in order to thwart Thanos' plans once and for all. 
Wanda Maximoff's backstory definitely has its share of tragedy. When she and her brother Pietro were young, their parents were killed by bombs, and the siblings only survived due to another missile failing to explode. That missile had the Stark name on it, which caused the siblings to direct their grief and hatred toward Tony Stark, and by extension, the Avengers. Hydra was able to exploit this and convince Wanda and Pietro to undergo experiments that would give them the power they needed to gain their revenge. Eventually, the siblings escaped from Hydra and decided to work with Ultron due to his desire to kill Tony Stark. The Maximoffs eventually joined the Avengers to stop Ultron. Yet while they succeeded, it came at a great cost as Pietro sacrificed himself to save Hawkeye. Through the loss of her parents by Stark's missiles, her manipulation and subsequent experimentation by Hydra, and the loss of her brother in the Battle of Sokovia, the Scarlet Witch's origin story is clearly tragic in nature, and the tragedy only continued later as she lost the love of her life when Thanos killed the android known as Vision by forcibly removing the Mind Stone from his body. Nebula's tragic origin initially follows a path similar to Gamora's, she was taken from her world at a young age by Thanos and forced to become an assassin. From here, however, the adopted sisters' paths diverge. They were routinely forced to fight each other, with Gamora routinely the victor, and Nebula slowly carved up by Thanos and made more machine than living as punishment, leaving her understandably bitter toward Gamora and her so-called father. I will hunt my father like a dog and I will tear him apart slowly. Peace by peace. Knowing Thanos viewed Gamora as a potential successor to his throne, Nebula was driven to prove she wasn't the inferior daughter, which further drove a wedge between the sisters. In fact, when MCU fans meet Nebula, she's hell-bent on killing Gamora, a dynamic that proves stubbornly resistant to change. Although Nebula slowly comes around to viewing the Avengers as her allies and standing up to Thanos in his mad quest to wipe out half of all life in the galaxy. A formidable warrior through the course of terrible circumstances, Nebula finally learned to recognize love and friendship, but she could have, and should have, had a far easier life. Doctor Strange's origin story is steeped in misfortune. A successful neurosurgeon, Stephen Strange's bad luck begins when he gets into a car accident that renders him unable to use his hands. Following this, he sells off nearly all of his possessions to fund efforts to heal his wounds, an obsession that ends up pushing away his love interest, Christine Palmer. While Strange is eventually able to salvage his bond with her, he's unable to pursue a deeper relationship with Christine, or anybody else really, after his efforts to regain the use of his hands lead him to become a Sorcerer Supreme, and eventually the protector of the mystical sanctum based in New York City. It's a long story. Strange's journey from shallow surgeon to magical protector is not without its setbacks. Aside from the emotional difficulty involved, he's almost immediately pitted against Cassilius, then forced to confront Dormammu, the ruler of the Dark Dimension, with the fate of the universe hanging in the balance. No big deal, right? Although Strange hasn't faced the level of tragedy that some of his fellow Avengers have had to cope with, he did lose his career and had to basically rebuild himself as a person making sacrifices along the way. Bruce Banner has his fair share of tragic chapters in his backstory. As Marvel fans know, he was a gamma radiation expert who was contracted by the US military to develop a version of the Super Soldier Serum that turned Steve Rogers into Captain America. But an accident left Banner changed, and always at risk of turning into a green rage monster whenever he got angry. That's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry.
Banner attempted to isolate himself from those he loved, as he feared what would happen if he lost control, and he was also being hunted by the military. Banner was forced to try and find a cure for his condition, so he wouldn't be treated as a weapon and could live a somewhat normal life. But he was forced to become the Hulk when the Abomination, the gamma-infused alter ego of Special Ops vet Emil Blonsky, attacked Harlem. Banner ultimately fled the United States entirely, only returning from exile at the urging of Nick Fury's Avengers Initiative. Transformed by the forces he attempted to control, hunted by the government he worked for, and prevented from living a normal life, Banner is an Avenger whose backstory has definitely been darkened by tragedy. Check out one of our newest videos right here! Plus, even more Looper videos about the MCU are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one.